Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Man, amen. Have you ever been where you just got so much on your brain, there's so many things that you got to talk about, and you just feel like you're talking 100 miles an hour? I don't know if anybody else does that, but I feel like I'm talking, you know what I mean? (laughs) Anyways, praise the Lord. Pray for me. Everybody stretch your hands toward me and pray for me right now. Jesus' name. All right. Praise God. Well, this. thank you. Thank you for that one. <laughs> Help him, Jesus. <laughs> All right. So this is week number three in our series that has been called Under Construction. And God is purposing to rebuild his church. And when we're talking about rebuilding his church, we're not talking about a building. We're, we're talking about really God's people because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And so we looked at it from the standpoint to begin with that God is really wanting to rebuild the body because it has been in a position that has been broken. Last week we talked about rebuilding lives. Today we're going to be talking about actually rebuilding the family, meaning our personal families. Because we are the family of God, but within the family of God there are multiple families. And how many of you know that the families within the body of Christ need to be reconstructed or they need help right and if you think about it obviously we've got all this stuff on the platform just to kind of identify with the the idea of reconstruction or things are under construction and if you've ever done any kind of construction at all you always know that in order to reconstruct or come under construction it always gets more messy as you begin to build right and, and if you're going to rebuild or if there's something that is going under construction, obviously you've got to identify that something is broken or something is not functioning properly or something needs some physical attention. Therefore, it goes under construction, right? And as I said, you know, when you start the rebuilding process, it does get a little bit messy. Now, two years ago, they redid the road that I live on. Now, the last time that they did anything to that road was in 1982. Now, the reason that I know it was in 1982 is because that same road that I live on now is the same road that I lived on in 1982. And the reason that I know it was 1982 is because I was 12 years old and I was friends with the next door neighbor and he was a few years older than me. And so he said to me, as the trucks are coming by with this hot steaming asphalt, he says, you know, if you put your hand in concrete, you can leave a handprint in there and you can put your name on there. He says, why don't you put your hand on the asphalt and put your name in there? So I put my hand on there thinking, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And it burnt my hand. So that's why that year of 1982 is burned into my brain literally because I burnt my hand. So that was the last time that they actually resurfaced the road. And since then, there's been many times that they come through and they squirt that tar stuff and they put the, the, the loose gravel over top of it. They kind of put a Band-Aid over it. But uh, two years ago, they came through and they actually did the road right. 
They came in and they peeled off all the asphalt. They graded the ground. They put new limestone, dug new ditches. I mean, everything they made brand spanking new. Even the culvert in my driveway was a brand new shiny culvert. You know, I mean, it was. And so all the while, it was majorly inconvenient. It was majorly messy and dirty all summer long. It, sometimes it was difficult to get down to your house simply because there were big piles of dirt or big uh, uh, pieces of equipment laying in the middle of the road and you had to wait for them to get out of the way. But even though it was extremely messy and that it was a major inconvenience, you're thinking, man, I'm getting a brand new road. I like this. And I live out in the country, so if you know like living out in the country, it's like, you know, as you're driving down the road. You know, uh, my wife has had to clean coffee out of the seats multiple times because I'm going down the road, you know, spilling coffee. So nevertheless, I was excited about this new road. Are you tracking with me? Obviously, whenever there's something that goes under construction that is needing to be rebuilt, there must be something that is broken down, things that are not working properly, something that just needs the attention. And if you're aware of the outcome, you'll be pleased with having to go through some minor inconvenience to get the final product that is a blessing to your life. And so in this season, in this time, God is rebuilding His church. And I'm specifically saying that way, in this season and in this hour in which we're living, it is a very strategic time, it is a very uh, pertinent time within the body of Christ, and God is doing a work. He says, before I come, and if you didn't know it, Jesus is coming soon. The signs are all around us. And you might say, well, dear God, that gets me scared. Listen, it is a time to get excited, not to be afraid, because, man, it is about time to meet Jesus face to face. And so, nevertheless, we are purposing to allow ourselves to get ready for His coming. And He says, I'm coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. So that means that all the ails and all the troubles and all the things that we, the church, we, God's people, His family, He says, I'm working out some rough edges. Those things that have been broken and maybe have been misused or maybe just they need my attention. He says, I'm rebuilding my church and I'm rebuilding my family. So today we're going to get into this idea or this subject of how God is looking to restore and rebuild his family. Now, if you think about it, if somebody's going to come to your house and you say to them, I need there to be something added on, I need some construction done at my house, they'll come and they'll give you a plan or a blueprint, but until you give them permission, they will not start any building project right and so God's wanting to rebuild his church and his family he's wanting us to go under construction but he's waiting for our permission because he won't do anything without you saying God I need your help God I invite you into my life God I've, I've might made a mess of some things and God I need you to intervene and I give you permission right now and so my hope and my desire is that as we continue in this series we'll get ourselves to a place of where we surrender to God and say God I give you permission last week I believe it was or maybe it was the first week I said to to you as we concluded the service who's ready to simply say God I surrender my life to you not just confessing you as Jesus my Savior but God I surrender my life 
And as a pastor, my hope is, is that the whole congregation's hand would be waving and flagging, yes, that's me. But you realize there was only a handful of people, and I don't say that to be condemning, and maybe people just say, well, you know, I'm good with God, and maybe they just understand the question. My point is this, is that many times we're going through life, and God's saying, I really want to just visit you and help you, but he needs our permission. And so I hope that you'll give God permission this morning to let him come in. Even if it feels like things are hopeless, may, may you allow God to begin a work this morning. So as we've been examining, or as we examine our lives, as I said, we have to acknowledge that, God, there's some things that maybe need to be given some attention in my personal family. And like I said, maybe you even feel like your personal family or your life is hopeless, or it's a hopeless cause. Maybe in your marriage, maybe your marriage has been struggling. Maybe you've really been struggling with your spouse. It just seems like you've been spatting all the time. Or maybe it's just been a period of time. And maybe you find yourself right now to think, well, dear God, this is as good as it gets. I've been with this person for how many years? I might as well just tough it out. Because Jesus is coming soon, right? So maybe your marriage has been struggling. Maybe your kids are a handful. And I'm not just talking about the rebellious teen. I'm saying maybe your ch- children, maybe they're little, maybe they're little toddlers, maybe they're preteens, and you're thinking, dear God, these kids are a handful, and I'm having a hard time controlling them. Well, you realize they're a byproduct of you, right? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. So maybe you're saying, man, God, I need some help, man. Kelgon, take me away. Or maybe you're an individual that says, you know, it just seems like there's never enough money. Man, it seems like from the, from the day I was born, that's all I've ever known. And in my adult life, being married in my family, we, we never have enough money. Or maybe you're the individual that constantly struggles with anxiety, with anger, with stress. Maybe you're constantly feeling overwhelmed and you're just walking around with this cloud of depression. And you're like, God, I'm finally at a place where, God, I need your help. I need a makeover. God, I need you to put me under construction. Well, if that's the case, if that's you this morning, then one of the things that we've got to identify is we have to go back to the blueprint. And the blueprint that I'm referring to is the blueprint that developed you. You realize that all of us are byproducts of an upbringing, right? There were influences in our life. There was a family, there was a household, there was parents or the lack thereof that has caused us to become and be what we are. There was a blueprint that shaped and molded us to become the people that we are today. Now, I don't want to dig out the past and I don't want you to have to go to a place of thinking, oh dear God, yeah, if you only knew my story, it was rough. Listen, there are those that would say, you know, we've got to dig into the depths of your life and uh, get into the back of the closet and get underneath of the rug and we need to get the cobwebs. Listen, I'm not talking about that. But we do have to identify that our current situation is a byproduct of what we've experienced in life. Your marriage is a byproduct of your upbringing. Well, what do you mean? Chances are the person that you married is somebody just like your mom or somebody just like your dad. You think, dear God, I never wanted to marry somebody like my dad. Chances are you did. If you knew my mom, you, you know I wouldn't want to marry somebody like my mom. Well, chances are you married somebody very similar to your mom. Why? Because it's what you knew. 
It's what you experienced. I'll be the first to tell you that when it came to my wife, I didn't look for somebody that was like my mom, but my mom is a very nurturing, caring woman that, that loves her husband and, and serves him well. And that's the kind of woman that I married, one that serves me as her husband and loves me in spite of all my shortcomings, right? And on the other hand, she married me, and, and I've gotten to know her father, and she wasn't one to be raised with her father, so she, she didn't really know her dad that well. But I get around him, and I'm thinking, dear God, he and I are a lot alike. I mean, even the way he talks in his sarcasm, I'm like, jeez, <laughs> old Pete. And my wife says to me, she goes, I can't believe how much you're like my dad. She never says that real positively. She's like, you're just like my dad, you know. But are you getting what I'm saying? There is a, a source or a blueprint that has begun to mold and shape you. And so oftentimes your marriage is a byproduct of what you were raised in or what you saw. Your thinking. Your thinking is a byproduct of how you were raised. Your thought process, the way you analyze something, it was shaped in the way you were raised, the way that you talk, your work ethic the way that you manage money, the way that you are as a parent, all of those things are a byproduct of the blueprint that you were established with as you began to grow up. Does that make sense? Now, you might be an individual that says, I don't like that because I didn't like how I was raised. Well, I've got good news for you. God said that His heart and His plan was to put you under construction and to rebuild you in the manner of perfection that he sought fit for each of us as his kids. Amen? And so when you think about our lives, you might think, you know what, in order for me to have my life rebuilt, man, it needs to be torn down right to the very foundation, and the foundation needs to be dug out. But I got good news. That's what God did. He went down to the foundation and says, that might be what was the foundation that you built your life on. He said, but I did something to get down to the very root of it and pull it out. Amen. Let's look at what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. And I know when I read this, you're going to say, yeah, I know that one. I've heard that one before. But listen to what it says. It says, therefore... From now on, everybody say from now on. From now on, we regard no one, or one translation says, we know no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet not now, or not, yet now we know him thus way, this thus no longer. Did you catch that with all my spit and sputter? So what is he saying? He said, you used to know Jesus by the flesh, but no longer. And he said, and furthermore, we know no man after the flesh. So what's he saying? When you look in the mirror and you're tempted to say, it's never going to change. You are a byproduct of your upbringing and you are just, you're just you. And that's as good as it's going to get. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way and had those conversations with you looking at yourself in the mirror. And, and I don't know if you're like me. I don't need enemies. I don't need critics. I don't need to look at the internet and find out what somebody's saying or not saying about me because I can do, 
a number on myself far better than anybody else because I'm looking at the man in the mirror and saying, Dear God, is that as good as it's going to get? But he says, No, no man after the flesh. So that means me. When I look in the mirror, I can't look at that man and say, Oh, that's as good as it gets. No, because Jesus did something about it. Now, what did he come to do? He says, don't know you after the flesh. Don't know your spouse after the flesh. Don't know people after the flesh. Now, again, you have to understand what I'm saying, judging them according to that. But then he goes on to say, in verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so he's talking about believers or Christians, he is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. creation. He's a new creation. So when did I become a new creation? When I became a Christian. Before being a Christian or receiving Christ in my life, I was the way that I always was. That mess up, that failure, that person I see in the mirror. But now, in Christ, receiving Christ, I am now a brand new creation. One translation says, a brand new species of being, one that has never yet been made. So in Christ... I am brand spanking new. And it goes on to say, the old things have passed away. Oh my. It sounds like there's been a rebuilding process. It sounds like there's been something under construction in the plan and the blueprint of God. He said, oh yeah, in Christ. He said, the old you, the old stuff, the old failures, the old blueprints, the things that cause you to be the way that you are, the lineage of your history in the past that goes on to your grandpa, grandpa, grandpa. He says, no, in me there is a new day. There's a new creation and the old has passed away. Woo, come on. It's passed away and he goes on, behold all. Man, did it say all? Say it with me, say all. All things have become new. So it sounds like there has been a major renovation that took place. I don't care what your past has been. I don't care what your history has been. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care who violated you. I don't care who abused you. I don't care what you've been told and what's been spoken over you. I don't care the mistakes that you made. There's been something that's been made new in Christ. And all things have been made new. And the old has passed away. So it means that the old is dead. And if it is still living and you're a child of God, and if it is still living and haunting you to this day, it's only because you keep resurrecting it. Because in Christ, there's a new day. Because he said, I made you brand spanking new. There's a new blueprint. And if you didn't realize that there's a new blueprint that you can begin to function and experience today. Amen? Now, you might say, well, I have some tendencies. We might. But you realize there's some old muscle memories. You know what I mean by that? You know, when we first got married, you know, my wife wasn't the kind of woman that she is now. So every once in a while, I still flinch, you know. No. <laughs> don't, don't tell her I said. <laughs> I'm saying it's the muscle memories, you know. <laughs> right? There's muscle memories in the way that we might react or respond, but that's still the old man. And therefore, I have to remind myself, no, mm -mm, that's not me no more. I don't have to be that way. Why? 
because of what he has done for me. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. It says that Jesus sacrificed his flesh, the physical man, and he says we have now a new and living way. Did you hear that? There's a new way. And this new way is a living way, not one that's dead that keeps dragging you through the mud. But it is a new way. Let me ask you this. Because I said that if we keep ha being haunted by the life of what happened, the torment, the torture, the, the, the abuse, whatever it might be, it's because we're resurrecting it. So let's paint the picture this way. If you were to take a shower and get your best dress clothes on, you get your makeup on, you do your hair, you're getting ready to go, and man, you're looking good, smelling good for the day, and then you walk out in the yard and you just fall down in the mud pit and start rolling around. Has anybody ever done that before? No, you don't do that because you say, I've gotten cleaned up. I'm clean. I've got my best duds on. I'm looking good, smelling good. Well, if you in the natural wouldn't go outside and roll around in the mud pit, then why do we do it spiritually speaking or emotionally speaking? Jesus said, I came that you would have a new life. Now quit rolling around in the mud pit. Right? Now, there's more that we could talk about that to help you, and in time we will, but I need to move on. Number two, are you doing okay? Number two, we're talking about rebuilding the family. Number two, God created the marriage, and he is the creator of marriage. If you recall, when God made all the creation, he got to the end of making the creation, he made the little butterflies, and he says, it's good. He made the fields and the oceans and the sky, and he got done, and he says, it's good. And then he got done to making man and woman, husband and wife, mother and father, and he said, it's very good. So the context of marriage is to be a very good thing, especially in the life of a believer. But now you also have to understand that there is no fairy tale marriage. You know, there's a lot of Hollywood, you know, scenes that are out there and my wife and I we joke uh, occasionally we'll watch something and we're like huh, wish it was like that in real life you realize there is no fairy tale it takes work to have a good marriage can somebody say amen alright but now how do I have my marriage or put my marriage under construction notice what Jesus said in John chapter 13 starting in verse 34 he says this he says a new everybody say new Come on, are you getting thread here? Are you getting some common themes? A new covenant I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he goes on to say this. He says, and by this, people will know that you're my disciples. So Jesus says, now, if you're going to follow me, a disciple is simply a follower of Christ. If you're going to follow me, he said, now, you love one another as I have loved you. So God loved you with all your junk, with all your imperfections, with all, just look in the mirror, all you, yeah. God loved you in spite of you. So that means that I've got to look at my spouse, my husband, my wife, my kids, and I have to look at them and love them the way that God loves me. Well, I'm just ready to check out. Well, maybe you ought to try, about, try, try loving them again. Well, I don't know that I love them. Listen, you realize that love is not an emotion? Love is a choice. And you might say, well, I fell out of love. Well, if you fell out of love, then fall back into love. Well, how do I fall back into love? 
make a choice. Love them because you do. You may not feel like it, but choose to love them. And the Bible says that this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. So in other words, your marriage can actually tell people about Jesus? Absolutely. Because how you love one another. But you realize, that, like I said, it takes work. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, well, you, just, you guys got a great marriage. Well, we got a great marriage because I just got a good wife. She fixes things, you know. <laughs> but I remember we invited some friends over to our house. Oh, this was a number of years ago. And these are friends of mine from high school. So they're not saved. They're, they're not Christian people. But, you know, we were getting the dinner ready. And, you know, you just kind of start fussing and fighting. And, and, you know, you've walked into the room where somebody's been fussing and fighting. And they, there's nothing that needs to be said. You just feel it, right? You feel the tension in the air. And so they come over. And we're getting the food ready, you know, whatever. And, and my friend starts laughing. And he says, dear God, thank you. I'm like, thank you? He said, yes, we always looked at you and thought you guys just had the perfect marriage. He says, we found out that you are just normal and nothing was even said. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it takes work, right? But you have to purpose to love one another. Now, listen to what it says here in, in the Gospels. Jesus made this statement. He said, to walk in love, and he also says this commandment of love that I give you, he says, all the laws of the prophet hang on this one law so let me just kind of point some things out to your attention when you just feel like you're wanting to give up you can hang on to love when you feel like they don't understand or don't care you can hang on to love why and then therefore you choose to respond in love when you feel like you don't have it in you you've got it in you and you can hang on to love now no notice what it says here concerning love it says that love is patient with unperfect people. I said love has patience with imperfect people. Man, I'm telling you what, I don't know if your spouse has ever got on your last nerve, but man, in that last nerve, I've had to like just hang on to love right now. Come on, somebody, right? You got to have uh, patience with imperfect people. Love does not keep records of wrongs done to it. I don't know if you're a good record keeper, but man, I'm telling you what, I've got an iron steel brain, man. I can remember. But now let me ask you this. If you want, are one to remember and keep record, why are you like that? Because more than likely you had a mama or a daddy that was a good record keeper and you became a good record keeper because you saw it. You heard it. You're never going to change. You said you're going to change. You said that the last five times. You said that before. And so what did you do? You saw it modeled in front of you. Anybody relating? <laughs> you ought to see what I'm seeing. Your faces, yeah. All right. It says that love thinks no evil. So in other words, i got to guard my thoughts. Love believes the best. And I'll give you one thing to do. Do the dishes. And you can't even do that right. You know, do I got to do everything by myself? Maybe something happened. Maybe they had to change the blowout diaper or something. I don't know. But you have an opportunity to believe the best rather than believe in the worst, right? Okay, we'll leave that alone. Love. Love wants others to succeed. And it says that love endures. I don't feel like I love them. No, love endures. So just love them because you do. It's a choice. 
It's an action. And then the Bible says that love never fails. See, we're under construction right now. But see, your marriage, your life, the blessings on your life, God wants, to, wants you to succeed more than you can even begin to imagine. And he says the way to do it is allow this new covenant or promise or way of living to be the way that you govern your life, to walk in love. Can somebody say amen? amen. All right. After becoming a Christian, as I'm new in Christ and making Jesus the Lord of my life, how many of you know that God is not looking to rebuild your life and take away? God's not coming into your house and saying, well, you know what, we need to demolish this, we need to get rid of that, we need to blow that sucker up. He's not saying that. He's like, you know what, well, we can do a, a little bit of remodel here, we can put a little band-aid here, we can fix that here, but my real heart, my real desire is to expand. I want to add on. I want you to, to increase. I want to put another level on. That's the heart of God, is that He wants you to grow and succeed. But once again, we have to allow love to have its perfect work on the inside of us. Because love changes everything. And my last point is this. Number one, we said that God desires... Let me get to my first point to remind me. Number one, that there is a foundation that God is looking to rebuild. Secondly, when it comes to our marriage, God says that it is very good. And thirdly, God has given us this awesome responsibility to be moms and dads. I said God's looking to restore, rebuild, and He's putting us under construction. As I said, we are all byproducts of the way that we were raised. The environments that we grew up in and that we saw modeled before us. And whether you have children that are at home right now, or whether you're grandparents, or one day you will be, and either of those, God has given us this awesome responsibility to begin to set the foundation or establish the foundation for the next generation. He's given us the awesome responsibility to write the blueprint or to begin to build upon the blueprint that He has given us. And so, I just want to share with you for just a moment just some observations that I've experienced and that I've seen in my almost 30 years of ministry and almost my 45 years of going to church. You see, I was raised in the church and therefore I, I, I've uh, always been an observer of people, of families. And when it comes to church, church isn't just a formality. It's just not something that we do. But really it's an extension of our worship towards God because he said, keep the Sabbath. And so, as a pastor, I would probably say in the last 20 years, maybe on two hands, there's been a Sunday that I've missed. And I don't say that for the, for the sake of bragging rights. I'm just simply saying it's part of our culture. It's what we do. We just love God and we love going to church. We love hanging out with God's people. And so it's something that we do. But as I've observed over the years, just families, even going back, I can think back to being a young boy looking at some of the families that were in the church as I was growing up. Ones that you thought were just amazing Christian people. And then you see them have moral failures in their life. 
There was, you know, one particular family that I'm thinking of that, were, that my parents were very close with. And so as a child, you're growing up seeing these adults spending time with your family, and you're thinking, boy, they must be some amazing Christian people. And then as you begin to grow up and you see them later on, you begin to find out that, man, there was an affair that happened in the marriage, and now they're divorced, and now they're split up, and now it's extremely ugly, and now their children that they once had are now teenagers, and now the girl that's 15 is now pregnant, and now the husband that once was the guy in the church that used to came over at our house, he's now an alcoholic. And you start to look at their lives, and you're thinking, dear God, didn't you go to the same church that I did? I thought you were good Christian people, but one of the things I started to discover as I got older, that many of the people that you see in church are people that have been there for just a season. They started going to church at some point in their life, and during that time, they really loved God, but it was just a short season of time, and the trials of life came and went and pulled them out of church. I'm thinking of other individuals, ones that I grew up with again as a teenage boy and, and, and seeing kids that I went to school with and thinking, oh, I know you. You know, we go to school together. And then after six months, you don't see them anymore. But yet, as a young boy, I didn't know how to process that. And so I would see them living their life and I'm, I'm saying, didn't you go to the same church I did? But yet you're acting a certain way. How come? And you think, but you're, you're, you're a church, church kid. And then you see them as they get older. And you see that their life is totally going to hell in a handbasket. And, and I, as an adult, I'm still saying, but you went to church at the church that I went to. But then you realize, oh, it was just a short span of time. I thought you were a church person, but there was just a short span of time that you went to church. But because church wasn't a lifestyle for the family, it came and it went and trials and tribulations happened and you're just out on your own. I've seen people within our church over the years, people that came to the church and I'm thinking, man, these people are, I mean, they love God. I mean, they're on fire for God. And then you see their children. I'm thinking of one particular individual. This goes back like 20 years ago. This woman, I'm thinking, wow, man, you are an amazing woman of God. And her little girls were just little. I mean, little, little. And, and the little girls just such, had such a hunger for God. And I'm like, wow, what an amazing family. And then you start to check up on them 20 years later. And Facebook gives you such a wonderful opportunity to kind of see the world in which people are living in. And you're looking at the family and you're thinking, dear God, what happened to you? But once again, you start to realize there was just a very short span of time by which somebody was in church, but because you saw them in church, you thought that it was something that was a part of their life or their lifestyle, but it was just a moment in time. Does, does that make sense to what I'm saying? I, I'm thinking of another individual, a young man that I was talking to. He his family was raised in the church. Now again, remember I said sometimes it gets a little messy before it gets better. So this might get a little messy and I'm not. We got brooms, so we'll sweep it out, all right? But this family was supposedly in church for the longest time. And the young man got a scholarship to go to a Christian school, Christian college. It wasn't a Bible college, but it was a Christian college. 
And I talked to the, man, the young man one time. I was going to lunch with him, and I was asking him how he was doing. He said, you know, the one thing that I struggled with the most, he said, it was the, the Bible classes. And I said, really? I said, how come? He said, well, the teacher, would, the instructor in college would always say, well, you know, you were all raised in church. You know these stories. And he says, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know these stories. Every Sunday, I was on the baseball field. And I don't know nothing about the Bible. But yet, the family would say, we were raised in church. Oh, listen, it's not about just having a belief in God. You can believe in God and still go to hell. At the same time, you can go to church every Sunday and still go to hell. You understand what I'm saying? But my point is this, is that I want your families to be in such health. And God wants to restore. And the thing that really grips my heart as what I'm sharing with you right now is that just a few weeks ago in our time of prayer, our church prayer gathering as we're praying there's something that we began to pray out very fervently and the spirit of God was moving and man I was just weeping as I'm praying and when we're praying we're saying eternity is close at hand eternity is close at hand and for some of our young people in GVC eternity is close at hand What's that meaning? It means that there's coming a time where it's no longer just because mom and dad went to church or because I'm a young person that I'm just going to go to heaven. No, there's coming a time when a young man and a young woman has to stand before God and give an account for themselves. And eternity is coming very soon. And God wants to heal our family. He wants to heal our church. He wants to touch your life. Because eternity is close at hand. Are you hearing me this morning? Listen, the Bible says that in that day, God's going to wipe away the tears from her eyes. Well, I didn't think there was supposed to be tears in heaven. But what if you're standing before God? And as you stand before God, you look beside you and look behind you but your son or your daughter's not there. But I thought, listen, just because you brought them to church on occasion doesn't mean that they come to know Jesus. Well, I let them make their own decision because, you know, I don't want them to have a bad taste in their mouth towards God. No, he said, you train up a child in the ways that they'll go and they'll not depart. What do you mean? You create the desire in them because of your lifestyle and your example in front of them and they'll walk with Jesus because of you. Listen, once again, I'm not being hard, and I hope you hear my heart. I don't want you to stand there that day and be looking for your son and your daughter and saying, where are they? And God says, well, there was really one job that I gave you to do. You can gain the world, but if you lose your own soul, your son and your daughter, what is it worth? Are you here this morning? Let me conclude with this story. In fact, why don't you all stand? In fact, just close your eyes as I just share with you for a second. There was a young woman that I knew as a young boy growing up with her. And her family had her in church for a season. Her father was a Boy Scout or a, it was a Royal Rangers leader within the church during that time. 
But when they got to be around 12 or 13, the whole family stopped going to church. As they continued to get older, the young woman, she married a man that was not a Christian. But then I started pastoring a church and she came with her three children. They were just babies at the time. She said, the reason that I brought my kids is because I wanted them to experience and have a relationship with God. When her little son got to be about the age of 12, about the same age that she was, she stopped going to church. The reason that she stopped going to church is because her husband gave her so much trouble about her going to church. How come my husband's giving me so much trouble? Well, if you realize that if you are married to somebody that has no heart towards God, but all of a sudden you come to a place where I need God, there might be some friction. And because of the friction, she chose just to back out and no longer go to church. Her children are now adults. She and her children are, are not back in church. And her kids are just living a worldly life. Why? Because there was a cycle. There was a blueprint that was established with her parents. And she repeated the cycle. And unless there's a miracle, her children will repeat the cycle again. And along the way, there might be some people that miss eternity because of a broken home. And so if you're here this morning, I hope you hear that God is talking to you so tenderly saying, I want to rebuild your marriage, your home, and your family. I hope that as you leave this place that you would begin to allow the love formula to begin to set boundaries within your life. But then I pray that as you begin to learn how much God loves you, that the love of God would motivate you that your family would not miss eternity. And that you could begin to rewrite the blueprints and put priorities in their place because we're in the season in the hour that God is moving will you let him move will you let him rebuild your life dear heavenly father I pray for every single person that might be listening watching online those that are here this morning. God, I pray that, Lord, there was not a word of judgment in this message, but it was merely a heart of love and concern to say, it's time to return. It's time to surrender. It's time to make priority decisions. God, heal our marriages. Heal our families heal our church heal our nation and may there be a hunger and a compassion and a passion for you like never before and God we ask this in the name of Jesus and everyone said amen amen listen we're going to finish up this series next Sunday we got growth track we got life groups lots of things happening all right God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next time.
subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites, which can be found at our website, gvchurch.tv. We know that today's message has been a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. We are Genesee Valley Church, loving God, loving people, and loving life.